Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see well, half of your faces anyway. Top half. Uh, if you've got a Bible, um, you may as well turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to be there in a moment. Um, or if you've got an app or whatever, you know, the way it is these days. Um, now, if you're anything like me, you will love those sermons that start on a high note. You know, you know where it, they just start and immediately you feel so loved by God. Anybody ever heard sermons like that? Just me. Well, anyway, I know, I've, I've heard sermons where, you know, they start and, and you, just like immediately you feel like loved by God and blessed and, and every, you know, the Christian life is just the best thing ever. And then, then amazingly, these, these sermons just get higher and higher until you feel like you're in heaven itself listening to the very words spoken by the lips of Jesus. Anybody want to hear a sermon like that this morning? Well, tough, you're not. <laughs> in fact, we're going to start on a bit of a downer. Everybody sigh behind your mask, oh, not a downer. Um, because I want you to start by thinking of a time when you felt like God had forgotten about you. Um, now, if you remember in a time like that, that doesn't make you a bad Christian, by the way, so don't be afraid, uh, because we all go through that. It's times when we feel like God has forgotten us, like we're so far away from where he actually wants us to be or where we think he wants us to be. I think the church as a whole, I'm not just talking about revived church this morning, but generally, I think the church as a whole is generally in a situation where perhaps we feel a little bit like that because Christian life over this season that we've been working through certainly isn't what we expect the Christian life to be really all about. Because we've been in situations where our worship, our fellowship, our mission has been really limited, yeah? But we know the Christian life is all about freedom. And it's about healing, it's about health, it's about prosperity in some ways. It's about all those things that we expect Christian life to be about. And yet we find ourselves here. And in those seasons where like, we're far away from what we think God wants for us, for whatever reason, we actually can ask those questions. Where is God? Has he, has he forgotten me? Didn't he care about me anymore? And that's not only true on a church level, but also on a personal level. And maybe you're going through stuff like that as an individual. I don't know where you, you are this morning. Well, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40 was written to the Hebrews when they felt similar to what I've just described. It was a very different situation, but provoked similar feelings. Um, it's set in the context, it was about 600 years before Jesus was born, and the Israeli land got uh, conquered. The people were taken to live far away in a distant land. They were far away from Jerusalem where they thought God wanted them to be. And in this far away place, they were restricted. They couldn't worship as they wanted to. They couldn't uh, have fellowship as they wanted to. They couldn't even do mission as they wanted to. And it's in that context that this prophecy is written. And what I want to do this morning is look at the, the final few verses, verses 27 to 31 of Isaiah chapter 40. Consider how God's 
spoke to the Hebrews when they felt far away and restricted and just see if we can get some encouragement, okay? So even though I've started on a bit of a down, I, I do hope to build it up before you go. Okay, I do promise you. I don't want to leave you down here. Um, but let's read these verses together. Um, Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. I'm reading from the NIV. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and... Sorry, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men fall and stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. The first thing that I notice in that passage is in this place of feeling far away and restricted, the Hebrews ask questions of God. Why is my cause disregarded by my God? Why doesn't God care? Why doesn't God see? Where, where is God in, in all this stuff that's going on? Those are the questions they, they were asking. Now, it's important to note, just a bit of a side thing here, that the style of prophetic writing that Isaiah's writing here is a style that we call lament. It's lament writing. And therefore, it's not questions that come from a place of disbelief, but questions that come from a place of despair. Notice at the end of the question, it's still, the Hebrews are still referring to my God. Why is my way disregarded by my God? So it's not like they've abandoned God, they've forgotten about him because of stuff that's happened. Now, I actually, in my line of work um, as a prison chaplain, I, I do hear stories regularly of people who have abandoned God because of stuff that's gone on. And I will often hear them say, I used to believe in God, I used to be a Christian, but this happened and this happened and this happened, and now I just don't believe God exists anymore. I hear stories like that. This is not that. This is not a place of disbelief, it's simply a place of sadness. And so one of the first things I, I notice here by way of encouragement is this, that the questions of lament, out of sadness but not out of disbelief, are actually okay. God sees those questions important enough to put in the Bible. And more than that, God sees those type of questions important enough to hear and to respond to. Psalm 55, 17 uh, says that so well. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in my distress. Anybody ever experienced that, by the way? And he hears my voice. God hears the lamenting questions when we feel far away and restricted. And because God hears those questions, he responds, and he responds to the Hebrews by saying this. We've already read it, but let me remind you, 28 to 29. This is God's response. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weak, and 
so you give strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What we see there is God responding to the Hebrews' questions by asking them a question. Haven't you heard? Don't you know? Now, does anybody find it frustrating when you want a straight answer to a question and somebody asks you one back? Um, here's an example. I know Nicola finds this scenario really frustrating. That's my wife, Nicola Okay, who was at the end. Um, now, in the good old days, when you used to be able to go clothes shopping and try clothes on, um, you know, which I willingly went with Nicola on a couple of occasions, willingly. But in, in those days, you know, Nicola would go shopping and uh, I'd be there and she, she'd try something on and, and come out of the changing rooms and then she'd ask a question. I look daft in this, don't I? No, I, honestly, I don't know how to respond to that question. I mean, it's not like you can agree, is it? Yes, darling, you look daft. That is not a recipe for a good marriage. Equally, in a public place, it is not a good idea to disagree with your wife. Okay, so it's like you can't... So what do I do? I don't know how to respond. So I, I ask a question back. Well, what do you think? Um... Now, God's not answering this question with a question because he doesn't know what to say. Actually, God's responding with a question because he wants the Hebrews to think more deeply about what they're asking. You know, I find that people, uh, including Christians, often want straight, simple answers to negative life experiences when what they really need to do is think more deeply about what they already know. I honestly believe that. And here, God's asking them a question. Then he's directing their thoughts to things they already know about. Five things that, that come out really quickly here. I want to rattle three off and then spend a moment on the other two. Firstly, he's saying, you know, haven't you heard? Can't, can't you remember that I am everlasting? Therefore, there's never a time when God is not working never a situation he's saying I, i'm reminding them think about i am creator and therefore god is able to bring something good out of absolutely nothing he's reminding them and asking them to remember to think about that he doesn't get weary and therefore he is always strong enough to act uh, the four things he draws their remembrance to his understanding is deeper than we can understand. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the 1800s, used this example to speak of the understanding of God. He says, God's like a surgeon, uh, like Bancoli, if anybody knows Bancoli, okay? Like, like a surgeon. And to the ignorant onlooker, looking at an operation, they will see pain, they will see almost carnage and distress and despair to the ignorant onlooker. Yet to the surgeon who knows what the end, of the re end result of the operation will be, who knows that the end will be a restoration of health, that surgeon is not afraid to cut into the body. He's not afraid even to inflict temporary pain in order for a better end. And it's the same with God's understanding. From our perspective, life sometimes looks a mess. And yet God sometimes, he never causes bad things to happen, by the way. But sometimes he allows us to be cut and hurt 
and go through stuff. Why? Because he knows what the end result will be. It's a restoration of our spiritual health. And God's drawing the attention of the Hebrews to the wisdom of God in this situation, not their wisdom. And then the fifth thing is that God's reminding them to think about, asking them to think about the fact that he gives strength and power to the weak and weary. I think one thing important to note here is he's asking the Hebrews to remember his character. And, And therefore, God giving strength is not so much about something he does, it is actually about who he is. God doesn't just give strength, he is by his nature the strength giver. And that's really important because in our times when we feel tired and weak, and I think lots of people are feeling tired at the moment, and they're not feeling tired because they're doing too much, they're feeling tired because they've been under a weight of uncertainty and restriction for so long, okay? People are feeling tired. Um, And God's character of giving strength is just as certain as his character as being eternal. Now, who believes God is an eternal creator God? Absolutely 100%. You can have that amount of certainty that God's character is able to strengthen you in your season of weakness and in your season of despair. And perhaps at times you've forgotten that and that thought has slipped from your mind and you're just feeling, I'm so weak. Well, God is the strength giver. He doesn't just want to give you strength. He wants to be the one who is the strength in your life. And so God's bringing their attention back to what they Hebrews already know about him. You know, in those times of questioning lament, God wants our attention. Not necessarily to be on what he does or what we think he ought to do, but to be on who he is. Because when we do that, our questions get resolved. They don't necessarily get answered. That's something different. God never tells the Hebrews why this stuff's happening. But what God does do is he says, think about my character. Because when we think about what we know and who we know Jesus is, then actually the things of earth grow strangely dim. When we consider who he is, then the questions of lament fade into insignificance compared with the light of his glory and grace. That is who Jesus is. So God answers with these questions, redirecting their thoughts on him. And when that happens, hope begins to stir. I told you we'd get a little bit better as we go on, didn't I? Okay, hope begins to stir. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Something important about the word hope there, in some of your Bibles it may be translated wait. The actual word in the original Hebrew language means the two things, hope and wait. Because hope has to be linked to patience. Why? Because hope is always about something in the future. We only hope for something we are waiting for. And when hope and patience come together, then something's created that I would call anticipation energy. Um, It's excitement. 
and energy rising because we know something good's going to happen. It reminds me of those times when I was waiting in the dark, cold, damp, on, in Stoke train station. I, I was waiting there because Nicola had told me that she was coming to visit me from Bath University. Ah, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting there in the cold and damp and dark, but I was still excited because Nicola, Nicola, I knew, would fulfill her promise. She would be on the train that she said she was going to be on. And in this season of waiting, in hope, knowing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, that just causes the energy levels to rise within us. We get excited about the future. Wow, God is going to come through for me. He is strengthening me. And that enables us to wait on a cold, dark platform, if you like, of our lives for a season, knowing that something good is just around the corner. However, Isaiah 40 says something about this waiting season because it's not just about that sense of anticipation. In that waiting, God is doing something. It's not just waiting for God to act, it's actually God acting while we're waiting. And what he's doing is this. He's causing us to be ready to soar on wings like eagles. I love that phrase. We sing it in one of the songs, quite an old song now. Uh, Soar on wings like eagles. The phrase there in Isaiah 40 actually echoes what God said when he brought the Hebrews up out of the captivity of Egypt. In Exodus 19 verse 4, God says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So we see this tie between Isaiah 40 and the Exodus story. And it shows us that what God is saying to the Hebrews in Isaiah 40, and therefore us, is this, that soaring on wings like eagles is actually all about coming out of a place of restriction. It's not just having a nice experience and floating around in the sky and having a lovely time with Jesus. It is actually about being lifted up from the despair from the restrictions, from the limitations that we find ourselves in, into a higher place. There's coming a day when you will fly out of how you're feeling now. Church, there's coming a day when we will fly out of the stuff that we're going through now. Because God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. You may feel abandoned, ignored, forgotten, but you're going to soar. We're going to soar. But there is something different between the Isaiah 40 soaring on wings like eagles and the Exodus 19 soaring on wings like eagles, if you pay close attention. Because in the Exodus 19, the picture is of God being like the eagle. He says, I carried you on my wings. And it's a picture of the eagle that carries its chicks. If you know the actual eagle does that, it carries its chicks on its back. That's the picture there. But the picture in Isaiah 40 is about us, or the Hebrews being like eagles. And it's particularly this picture that every year the eagle loses its feathers. It, It molts. And it grows new feathers and with those new feathers it mounts up on 
new wings. And in this season of waiting, what is God doing? He's giving us new wings by which we will rise up. Now I say this, I think this is really important and it's something that we can overlook sometimes. This is not about us waiting for God to suddenly lift us up and take us to somewhere new. It's about us recognizing that God in this season of hope-filled waiting is causing us to have fresh revelation, fresh insight, perhaps developing fresh skills and fresh knowledge that we will use to rise up. Actually, it's about us taking action in this season and God equipping us to do so. You know, there may be a time when, well, maybe now, where you feel like you're not flying anymore. And you perhaps remember a time when you did fly. And now you just feel like you're grounded. Hey, God's giving you new wings. New wings. Just say new wings in your head. You don't have to say them out loud. Um, And that the stuff that you flew with in the past is going to be different to the stuff that you will fly with in the future. Flying out of captivity. Rising. But then we land somewhere. And you know, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, carried on God's wings, he landed them in a desert, on a journey. A journey through the desert. Many of you will know the story. And it's the same picture here in in Isaiah 40, because we, we saw on wings like eagles, God's enabling us to fly out of the restriction and the, the feeling of being far away from him. But then we land in a journey where we walk and we run without growing weary. Again, this is not about letting God do all the work. It's about us taking a journey with him. But there is something different about the wilderness that we walk through to the wilderness that the Hebrews walked through in Exodus. Again, if you know the story of Exodus, you will know how they they journeyed through a wilderness and it was a barren place. There was the occasional miracle of God providing water and, um, and other stuff going off. But generally, it was quite a lifeless desert to walk through. And you may feel like your life journey at this point in time is like that. I'm just laboring through this sort of wilderness journey, this desert. Well, I don't believe God wants our journey to be like that because Isaiah's description of the desert is very different to what the Hebrews went through when they came out of Egypt. I'm going to read to you what Isaiah says about the desert. If you've bits out of his book. He says this, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. 
Like a crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the deaf ears unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places are plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The desert that Isaiah describes is a desert that is flowing with life and is prosperous and is abundant with water. It's full of the miraculous, just not moments of the miraculous. It's It's actually a desert that really sounds very familiar to the promised land itself. I'm looking forward to the promised land. Now, I'm one of these old school Pentecostals, and I make no apologies for that. For me, the promised land is heaven. I thought I might have got an amen or something from some of you. The promised land is heaven. That is where we are heading. And we're going to get to the promised land, either through the grave or when Jesus comes in in the clouds, okay? You can wave at me or say amen quietly behind your mask if you want to. Thank you. Okay. That is the promised land. And I am so looking forward to getting there. Okay. And if I am, some of you, because naturally speaking, you will get there quicker than I will. No disrespect meant to anybody, of course. But God is so gracious... Because he makes the journey heavenly. It's not just about waiting to be there. The journey that God lands us in has echoes of heaven. And that's what God wants for us. I've gone over time. Let me try and pull all this together quickly. Um... Isaiah 40, we see a journey of transformation. It starts with the Hebrews lamenting. Why does God not care anymore? What does God do? He asks them questions that draws their attention back to him. He's eternal, creative, strength giver. By remembering all that, energy and strength begins to rise within them as God works upon them and gives them these new wings by which they fly out of their captivity and land in a journey through an abundant wilderness that's full of life. I think that story echoes our story in this season. There are times... Of lament. Actually, Gerald, team, where are you? You're over there. Just come back. Um, echoes our journey. There, there are times of lament, and this season has been a season of lament. Uh, there are people who are literally grieving the loss of loved ones. But for everybody else, this season of, of weight, of restriction, causes to Ask, where is God in it all? What does God want to do now? He wants to to focus our attention on who he is. 
Haven't you heard? Haven't you seen? Hey, your God is the everlasting God. Your God is eternal creator, strength giver. Focus on that. And in that season of waiting, we strengthen.